Hey, it's Zach. This week on At The 55, we go over a couple OT thrillers from last week. It's Laurier clapback season here in the studio. And we had a couple great questions in the mailbag that we'll address at the end of the episode. But with no further ado, let's hop into the action. This is Justice Allen, running back number four for McMaster. It's Eric Starzella, starting left tackle for the Guelph Griffins. Dylan Giffen, left tackle of the Western Mustangs. And you're listening to At The 55. At The 55. At The 55. Stay tuned. Best OUA podcast. Okay, so let's start off with our Who's Back of the Week. Dakota, you want to kick it off for us? I hate saying this, my Who's Back of the Week is math. Let me finish. Don't run away yet. We'll still talk about football. Um, I won't dive into the intricacies of it too much. If you've been paying attention all, number two to number seven are pretty much all up for grabs right now. The The amount of wins by X amount of points, loses, ties, the weather has to fly a certain way for teams to make it in the playoffs and also maybe get that home field advantage throughout the playoffs, other than obviously Western. It's The math on it is crazy. I'm not going to do it for you. I don't encourage you to do it, but my, who's <laughs> back of the week, especially for... The last week of the season is definitely going to be math. I'll I'll actually touch on that point a little bit because, yeah, I, I went through some of the scenarios and I don't want to try and reiterate any of the just minutia of it all. But one thing that did amaze me, because the way that they break it down has a lot to do with wins against common opponents. And there's a few scenarios that involve a handful of teams ending up five and three where and, you know, well, whatever. Go ahead, quote me on this. If it ends up, if I end up incorrect on it, I don't think it's a likely outcome. But there is a scenario where Mac could actually fall to sixth in the rankings because of different head-to-heads. It's it's crazy, but I, yeah, math is uh, math is thoroughly back. Um, for me, I will go with Phil Loki for my who's back of the week. You know, I, I talked a lot about this Carlton receiving court throughout the year. Loved watching them last year, and of course the big difference being that last year it was Michael Arruda throwing it up to them. This year Tanner DeJong, and Tanner's gotten a lot better throughout the season. We've definitely see that, seen that, but Loki's still been fairly quiet. So this past week against Mac, he went for 137 and two touchdowns, only his second and third touchdowns of the year. You know, wasn't an all-star last year, but if you go through his games, go through their box scores, he definitely had a huge impact for them. So it was really nice seeing him have the type of impact in a must-win scenario for them um, with their backs thoroughly against the wall. Whether they still make the playoffs, well, obviously that's going to, a huge factor is going to be they got to take that 11 a.m. game against Laurie, first of all, and then a few other things are going to have to fall their way uh, to cite the math again. But that's my who's back. Philoloki. So with that being said, uh, I don't think we have any other news and notes. So let's jump right into our first game, our pick for game of the week. And boy, did it ever live up to it. It's the Battle of Waterloo. Warriors, Golden Hawks. Let's get into it. Final score in this game, the Laurier Golden Hawks, 53. The Waterloo Warriors, 50. This game was at Warrior Field. It was Thursday night. It was a triple OT thriller. Brenton Hall, sealing the deal for the Golden Hawks the touchdown at the end of the game you know an amazing game this really you know this whole week and we'll get into it with each and every one of these games aside from maybe the Toronto York game really really a a lot of excitement happening and what a way to kick off the week with this one Um, 
if going to our picks for this week, let's start off here. Uh, if you are listening to this, it's a good chance that you've been following us for well, hopefully some time. If you're new to the program, welcome. And whether you're new or whether you've been following us, we do our picks for the week. And Dakota, you, me, along with our friends Brandon and Eddie, we make our selections. And you know, there's a lot of a lot of thought that goes into those picks. And going into this one, despite Battle of Waterloo being a tight contest. Despite Laurier showing a lot more promise in the second half of the season coming out of there by and a one and three start, we all went with Waterloo. I don't think there's anything wrong with that pick. They have the OUA MVP from last year and Trey Ford at the helm. They have Dion Pellerin, Pellerin running like a beast all year. All the weapons at receiver. You know, the defense has been a little bit, well, let's just say it hasn't been great this year, but overall, a really exciting team. I don't think that was that much of a controversial pick. But, apparently, some of the players from Laurier weren't too happy with seeing us pick Warriors across the board. You want to get into that a little bit for uh, for the people listening, Dakota? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, first of all, a couple things. I don't, I don't like saying, um, you know, that you can't, you know, defend yourself or defend your team. And I don't want to come across that I'm defending myself. A couple things to start off with, though. One, I did have Laurier as my dark horse. That is on tape. To start the season. So congrats, Laurier, for winning this game. I did have Laurier as the biggest who's back coming out of the bye week. And they have shown us that they they are the biggest who's back coming out of that bye week. But my big thing is, you know, if you're going to stick up for yourself and and talk smack, don't come crawling into Instagram (laughs) at 1 in the morning after a tight triple overtime win. Congrats. Big congrats. Heck of a game. Super entertaining. Instant classic. But, you know, where was all that smack when we first posted the picks? We post our picks on usually Thursday. Yeah. You know. Yeah. The game was Friday, right? It, oh, no, it was Thursday. The was, game was Thursday? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, you know, but, you know. Might have been a short turnaround. But you're, but on, you're on your phone in the locker room a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You don't see it? You know, you know it's weird because all the people that had came back into our into our comments had already liked the pick i've already had already liked the instagram posts so i i'm just wondering you know players fans parents random strangers on our social media if you don't like our picks that's fine yeah you know d- agree to disagree but let's hear in the comments you know before the game and that goes for twitter too oh oua fan you think i forgot about you <laughs> don't come crawling to us after our picks are wrong Voice up ahead of time. I'll respect you a lot more. But again, congrats to Laurier. Heck of a game. But just, you know, also York. I saw a couple of York guys do this too. We'll get into it later, but let, let's hear it before kickoff. I don't want to hear it after kickoff, all right? Now, now, surprisingly, that was not Dakota's do better, but just an extra little bit of ranting that we decided to throw in there. Uh, you know, I, I agree. I mean, obviously, we're just having fun with it. But yeah, you know, and especially... You know, for you know, in the world of picking, it's like you, you can't come after the fact and then make your make yourself known. But let's get into the action. Both sides of the ball. I, I think this game, first of all, for for Waterloo, this is now two weeks in a row where we have the the loss at Western. You know, the the heartbreaking fumble by Pellerin at the end, leading to the Legio field goal to win it, and then this game coming down to the wire, triple overtime loss. But that's consecutive weeks where. And I'll, I'll pull up the number right now, but you know they put up 50 on Laurier. Where regardless of what you want to say about Laurier's year, with them being, you know, obviously a very slow start, the one thing that's been consistent with this team is the defense. So that's 50 points, albeit in triple overtime, you put up on them. 42 points, 
you put up on Western. And I think that to kind of echo some of your remarks you made about the Western game that came to fruition, and it happened in this one too, is that for Waterloo to win, or in looking back in that Western game, it's either going to be Western wins by a lot, or Western wins but both teams score a lot, or, or Waterloo wins perhaps by a close margin, and it's a shootout. And we saw the same thing happen here. Laurier coming away with a victory in a shootout, triple overtime thriller. But for Waterloo, and as devastating as it is, and I I kind of joked about this somewhat where I was really hoping they, they would take this so they would finally get off of that 4-4 four and four record. But you have to at least take solace in the fact that these are two consecutive weeks where you're playing tremendous defenses. And your offense has put up big points. And that shouldn't be a surprise that Waterloo puts up points. This is their bread and butter. This is what they know. They're, they're known to do. But the fact that they're doing it against such high-octane defenses, you have to be walking out of these games with, you know, I, I hate moral victories, but like this like this offense is legit, no doubt. Agree and disagree on that. Um, mainly because my main focus for Waterloo's offense and I think it's everyone's when it goes into film, is Trey Ford. Yeah. And to have a great offense and nothing against Trey Ford, you have to have a great offensive team. And, you know, they do have Dion, they do have Tyler, but... Gordon Lom, yeah. Yeah, if you stop Trey Ford, you really can tell when the team starts to struggle. So, again, we don't know if any team's going to be able to stop him coming into the playoffs. It's going to be really interesting how, to see how Mac preps for him. But if he just has an off day, this whole Waterloo team could be completely going the other way, only putting up 16, 17 points. You know, we he didn't have a great day in week one, you know, maybe a little rusty going yeah. against Toronto, and that was a close game. Guelph really did a good job in slowing him down, too. Yeah. Yeah, so I I, I like the offense. Um, I'm still not in love with their defense as no. they've let pretty much the last two teams just walk all over them. To be fair, Waterloo's walked all over the last two defenses, but it's the Trey Ford show, and if he doesn't show up or he's a little late for the game, mm-hmm. you know, there's only so much time in in the playoffs. So, you're you're absolutely right, um, and I think the interesting thing when you contrast Waterloo's offense with Laurier's offense is when we talk Laurier football and on the offensive side of the ball, the name that always comes up, and rightfully so, is always going to be LaVondre Gordon. And he left this game, I think it might have been still in the third, maybe in the fourth, but he still managed to put up 159 yards. In, oh, he's an absolute monster. He's, he's a beast. I think you were saying he had over 100 in the first half alone, right? Yeah. But then on top of that, and obviously he comes out, so that's where these other carries come from. And we've seen these guys throughout the year, so it's not necessarily a surprise, but just when you look at the production as a whole it's just mind-blowing so you have the 159 from Gordon then you have Kevin Wong going for 109 yards himself one touchdown 12 carries then behind him Cavante Bailey 78 yards and two touchdowns and if we remember to the last week or yeah I think it was last week we saw Cavante Bailey produce in the passing game as well and so the long roundabout point I'm making here is that you talk about Waterloo's offense and that despite the weapons that they have it's still ultimately very much run through Trey Ford but with Laurier they have all these different weapons now 
obviously, and that's just that's just like a, the, the running game. We'll definitely need to get to the, the passing game because there's you know one man in particular, Mr. Brenton Hall, who obviously had the game-winning touchdown, but he put up ridiculous numbers as a on the game as a whole. But what we've talked about with this game, and we've made similar remarks contrasting them with McMaster's offense in that they just have so many guys they can feed it to. Now, obviously, if the injury to Gordon is significant, is that something that they can overcome given how much more spread out they can distribute the, the offensive load? Do you, do you think that's something that they can do? Well, yeah, even just looking at the box scores, you have Kevin Wong who put up 109 yeah. yards on the ground. You know, they have Kevontae Bailey who put up 78 and two touchdowns. Like, don't get me wrong, Levondre Gordon is an absolute monster at at tailback, but you know that O line is very solid. They have mm-hmm. they have weapons in the backfield. I think the big thing that needs to be mentioned, um, and we're not really going to out our insiders here, but the the rumor mill of Folds taking over the offensive play calling going coming out of the bye week, right? You know, obviously there was something that was to be done during the bye week, and nothing's a hundred percent confirmed wink wink nudge nudge but I think that's that's a big thing that really got the guys going and in the the change in play call because they've averaged what 40 something points every single game since the bayou on offense yeah like it's night and day yeah you know and I think that's a very very good point to bring up and no doubt that did have an impact but when I think about the first half of the year for them specifically the Ottawa game and the Toronto game it's you know not necessarily the offense was such abysmal, but that those were games where they were up and through a variety of circumstances. I think in Ottawa, there was a, a special teams touchdown that was given up or, you know, a fumbles here and there. All those kind of missed opportunities. And, you know, if I was really doing my homework, I'd go through all those games again, watch them. But it felt more like the biggest problem for them was almost a, just a lack of focus at times. You know, the, the just sloppy play and things that just... You'd have the lead, and they would that they would end up giving up. But I, I definitely think it's it is very much night and day as you bring up with the offense, though. Yeah, and I think you know their defense has definitely stayed consistent throughout. As you were saying, similar to coming out of a bye with your defense, is that the defenses don't really struggle coming out of a bye. Yeah, it's more so the offense. But just looking at the games here, Laurie's first game, 18 points on the board. Second game, 34, 22. Then they had the bye, and then coming out of the bye, they put up 52. Then they put up fifty two. Yeah. Then they put up fifty three. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. That's it's it's completely night and day, and it's going to be scary going into next week against Carlton for that strong Carlton defense. I'm interested to see what happens, but I think that offensive shift. They've always had their defense down and locked, but now they have the offensive team with momentum. It's it's a brand new team. I'm also very interested to see what happens in that game against Carlton. Unfortunately for myself, and I'm sure plenty of other people, I'm going to have to be watching it after the fact and just following on Twitter because that is the 11 a.m. start. My bosses don't listen to this podcast, so I'm going to be streaming <laughs> it in the office either on my phone or one of my three computers. I love it. But let's talk about Brenton Hall for a second. Dakota, you're a receiver. You see a guy with a stat line like this. Eight receptions, 165 yards, two touchdowns. And of course, as we've mentioned a few times now, one of those, the back of the end zone catch that he makes that wasn't even clear that he had caught it at first it had to take that moment of process be like okay did he secure it the the feet he kept it through the contact with the ground when you see a stat line like that well well one i think 
the one impressive thing is just one catch, one touchdown. If we're really being serious for that that overtime winner, I think if he could take away most of his catches and just have that, he'd be happy. But no, it's a an unbelievable stat line. Um, he's a he's a great receiver. Like 165 yards is is pretty mind blowing. We had Brett Ellerman do a similar stat line a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So you got to be happy as as a receiver and obviously as a, a quarterback to know that you can keep going back to this guy because Connor Carousel only had 14 completions. And so more than half of that went to Brenton Hall. So yeah. he, he knows that he has his guy. He can keep going back to him, stay confident with that. And I don't think there's a doubt, obviously, for the viewers watching, maybe they didn't know. But I think Connor knew going into that situation that if I'm putting the ball in the air, that's who the guy I'm going to go to. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the last thing I'll mention with this game that I, I didn't realize watching it, it was really looking at the box where after that it clicked in, is that when you look at time of possession in this game, and if I, I think it was in the Windsor game, and I think I mentioned this on the podcast that we talked about it. The the Windsor commentators mentioned that Laurier was leading or at the top of the league in terms of time of possession. When you look at the breakdown for this game, it's Waterloo at 35 minutes and Laurier just under 25 minutes. And so, a that's that's interesting to look at given that that previous uh, what we believed to previously be true that Laurier was amongst the league leaders, but. It's even more interesting when you take into the fact that, yes, Waterloo's offense obviously had a good day, and they had a very good day on the ground as well as in the air. Ford himself taking it for 135 yards, three TDs. Pellerin, 102 yards himself, accounting for a total of, let's do math, let's do math, 233 yards net rushing. But we've already gone over what Laurier's done on the ground rushing for a total of 386 yards. So almost 150 or pardon me, over 150 more yards rushing, yet they somehow end up 10 minutes less in terms of time of possession. I just found that odd, and I definitely want to rewatch this game at some point, A, because it was just so entertaining, but that's just something I didn't think about while watching it, but just kind of behooves me a little bit that you could be at such an advantage in terms of yards rushing the ball, which would normally relate to having a larger time of possession, but not something we necessarily need to get into too much yeah i don't have the numbers in front of me but one thing to consider is that overtime isn't a timed period mm. so those those rushes oh, if could the, co- could have come during the overtime okay. period which isn't timed yeah I not, bet, not to to say that's the answer but that's the only thing i can think of off the top of my head no i think that probably does make sense yeah yeah that's that probably solves it but either way it's something that definitely stood out to me but um obviously these two teams have to bounce back off of this emotional game because, as we kind of joked about, there are some crazy playoff implications that can come up with a variety of outcomes this coming week. And both of these teams are in massive games. We already set up the Laurier-Carlton game. It is at University Stadium, Laurier, 11 a.m. this Friday. If you are at work, if you can stream it like Dakota over here, definitely find a way to do that if you have the day off or if you can call in sick, which I don't think my boss has listened to this either, which will be would be my only ability to try and do it, so I might have to pull that card. Watch this game because, A, it's going to be crazy entertaining. We'll get into the breakdown of it when we get into our Week 9 preview, but also so many playoff implications for this game. And then for the Warriors, equally as important, they are heading to Hamilton to take on the Marauders, 1 o'clock on Saturday, and that's going to be an amazing game. So with that being said, let's put a wrap on that one, and let's move into our next game, the second of the Thursday Nighters, Guelph vs. Queens.
Final score in this game, the Guelph Griffins 27, the Queens Golden Gales 24. Another overtime thriller. Eric Strawn's hitting the game winner in overtime. A much tighter contest than I think most people, uh, at least outside of Kingston, would probably have thought this one would be. And I, I think that for Guelph, the biggest thing for them in this one is, at least for me, aside from the defense, which has been consistent all year, is seeing the production that they were getting out of uh, Juwan Jeffrey. Now, for Jeffrey, we saw he missed time early in the season. Injury that kept him out from training camp, I believe. And in this game, his best production of the year, 24 carries, 150 yards. And my, my immediate thought thinking that was, I thought back to last year at how with J.P. Simonkinda, Elaine's brother, he really didn't get going till late in the season either, but played such a massive factor in their wins against Lori, uh, pardon me, Waterloo and the end of the regular season and then the first round game in the playoffs and then as well in their game against Ottawa. And this is a Guelph team where while they've had a bit of a carousel in the running back department in terms of who's getting the carries and who's just been healthy and being able to to, to play back there, but also all the injuries to their offensive line that has caused them to have so many different lineups, so many young players, a lot of first-year guys in there. So obviously Queens' defense isn't necessarily the most stellar across the OUA, even though we saw one stellar performance by uh, an individual. We'll get into that in, in, a, in a moment. But definitely a positive sign for them to get Jeffrey going and hopefully a sign of things to come as, you know, We've seen you know Theo at spurts during the year play very well. We've seen him play you know poorly at times, but this is an offense and a team in general that offensively they have to be able to spread out the wealth, so to speak, a bit more of that Laurier McMaster style where they can't rely on one guy. So the fact that Jeffrey is starting to produce like this, I think, is a very positive sign for them. No, a hundred percent, and just. Speaking on defense, I'm just going to touch base on Guelph's defense here. Yeah. Actually, just going to jump right into it. This is going to be my do better of the week. Do better. Uh, I had a chance to speak with AJ Allen, um, who on the stat line is recorded with two sacks and six solo tackles. Hey, OUA, first of all, I know that you first recorded him with four solo tackles, but my do better right now is the OUA stat tracker or the stat keeper, whoever that may be. Uh, yeah, I had a chance to sit down with AJ, and he's been telling me that his sacks have been stolen, his forced fumbles have been stolen, <laughs> his tackles have been stolen. And it's not just a guy, you know, talking out of his ass. He sent me videos of his fumbles. <laughs> it may be a little bit tough. He sent me videos of his fumbles, uh, videos of his sacks and all that. First of all, AJ, I can't do anything about it. I'm just a guy with a mic, and it's not even my mic. Um, but then when I when I posted that on our Instagram we had a few more people saying, hey, my stuff has got stolen too. You know, my stats get stolen all the time. Yeah. So, first of all, OUA, you got to do better with these stats because they're all over the place. Definitely. Second of all, if there's any player listening out there and you think your stat has been stolen, send us a clip. Send us a picture. We'll put it all together. Um, you know, I took criminology in school, so I'm pretty much a lawyer. <laughs> no big deal. Uh, I'll make a case. I'll make a civil case for you, and, and we'll go straight to the top. Hit up U Sports, hit up OUA, and we'll get your stats back. OUA, do better. No more stolen stats. 
100% agree. And since we're on the topic of A.J. Allen, and you kind of went through his production for this game, the six solos, two sacks, but who knows? Three sacks. Sorry, three sacks. Who knows what else they left off of the stat sheet there. But, you know, when you watch this defense throughout the year, they they have so many studs across the board. Tavius, Elaine, Job, um, uh, Akatepe, uh in, in the in the secondary, plenty of other guys that I, I'm, I'm sure I'm just forgetting. Um, Beeksma has been great for them. But what Allen allows them to do when you watch them play is being able to move from a three-down front to a four-down front. I think he's probably more traditionally just a linebacker in terms of his, his body and, and everything like that. But they'll move him down to D-end. They'll move a lane into that three-tech. And obviously the versatility that Sim and Kinda gives them to be able to play uh, D-end and 3-tech is, is a big part of this too and, and um, not to go unnoticed but for AJ being able to play at depth at the linebacker position being able to step up on the line and just do a lot of those things that while some of the stats might be getting literally might be going unnoticed it's that type of role where your impact might not get seen on the stat sheet quite literally and figuratively but it allows it unlocks such a key part for this defense, and much like off, much like every aspect of of football, some of the biggest contributions, and this is coming from offensive of, say, offensive yeah. linemen, right, are go or are things that don't necessarily show up on the stat sheet. Yeah, everyone loves the flashy plays, and I knew you were going to say it just because you're an alignment. <laughs> um, but everyone loves the flashy plays, but no one, you know says okay this guy has six sacks on the season but that's yeah that's because your defensive line counterpart is so good he gets double teamed he yeah. gives you that opportunity to go one-on-one it's oh this receiver's you know or this running back so good at these swing passes that's yeah, because the receivers out here pushing their cornerbacks onto their ass yeah so yeah it's one of those things where the stats aren't going to show it but anyone who really knows football is going to watch it. anyone who's you know, drafting or scouting is going to see the film. Yeah, where okay, this guy's making an impact. He may not might not have the numbers, but he's making the team better. So yeah, one hundred percent. And so let's move over to the Queen side of things. And before we get into the defense for them, the one thing that stood out for me in this, and uh, once again, it's another game that I definitely want to to rewatch it, is that we we saw a fairly split amount of reps with James Keenan and Ryan Lacandro actually. Not quite split, actually. Keenan getting getting a good bulk of the work. And it seemed like the last couple of weeks that they had settled with Lacandro being the guy. And it escapes me whether he went down with injury. If I'm just forgetting something obvious, that's part of why I kind of want to go through it. So if I did just like whiff on that completely, my apologies. But the big thing, and we, we've seen so many positive things from this team moving forward. And we've said all year, this is a team built for the future. And they gave us a little bit of a early excitement when we thought that they had a legitimate shot at making the playoffs and all that. But I think a big thing for them this year has to be figuring out who your quarterback was or is going to be for the future. And obviously that doesn't have to be written in stone. If one of these two guys has an amazing offseason and completely flips the script, more power to them, right? You want to have that open competition. But I was kind of hoping that they would just have their guy that they could roll with, give them those reps to be able to really get used to working with the rest of this young offense. And my problem seeing these, uh, the the way the, the reps were, were divvied up here is that they're going into their final game next week, their their homecoming against York. And for whatever anyone wants to say about York, the one thing that's been fairly solid with them is their passing defense. 
So it might prompt another situation where the guy you start might not be the guy who finishes for you. And you know what? Once again, I think we mentioned this on another podcast. This We kind of riffed about our own ideology in terms of running a one QB and getting him that comfortability with his receivers, with his offensive line, the running backs, just getting comfortable in that quarterback position. And if their philosophy on it differs, I'm not going to judge them. We're just, you know, the two idiots sitting in in the living room with the microphone talking football, and I'm certain that they have a, a better plan. But it's still, it's still kind of, I don't know, not 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 rubs me the wrong way. I don't take offense to it or anything like that. But I still find it a bit odd. I don't know. First of all, I'm gonna I'm gonna take offense uh, just because I still do actively coach as a, as an offensive coordinator. So you and I, our friendship is over. <laughs> Strictly business from now on. But on on the the note of of two different quarterbacks, I don't have a problem with swapping them. And again, I am foggy if they one of them was injured or not, but. I don't have an issue with that. My issue is if I, especially because games don't matter at this point, not that they don't matter to the players, but standing-wise, it doesn't really matter. You know, York and Queens going into next week, they're both out. Yeah. My thing is, if I'm unsure, one quarterback's playing a whole game, unless, gee, just dreadful, and another quarterback's going to play the the whole next game. Right. Uh, I have to go back. I think it was probably three or four years ago. I was still at Western. Chris Merchant had just come up. It was a battle between Chris Merchant and Stevenson Bone. Uh, Stevenson Bone, or Chris Merchant, I think, started the first game. Stevenson Bone started the second game. And they're still kind of feeling out which was who's going to be their starting quarterback. But then by week three, it was, okay, this is our guy. And it seems like Queens has kind of done that, but with no consistency throughout the year. They go and swap, swap, consistent, swap, swap. So who knows what the next week's going to hold, but they can't do that next year. They have to be consistent with their quarterback now. And they got to figure it out during during summer camp. Heck, during you know off season workouts. Unless it's that tight of a of a battle, but going into week one of next year, they have to have their starting quarterback. Yeah, this is a Queens team that going into next year, they're they they're not surprising anyone. They they have very much made their mark this year and saying that they are for real. And while they aren't there yet, that they are getting better. They have young pieces in play that are going to improve. But I don't, I don't see them sneaking up on anyone next year. So I, exa- I completely uh, echo your sentiment on that point. But let's talk about their defense because there's definitely a few shoutouts that we need to give on that end. Do you, would you like to take the reins for that? Nah, there's no one that special. Okay, let's move on to the next game. <laughs> oh, uh, Tyler Royd, four and a half sacks. Yeah, that's just, that's just crazy. You know, and I don't know. Maybe he stole some stats from AJ Allen. <laughs> maybe he took some of those sacks, but. It's it's not just him. It's it's their whole. You know, they had seven sacks on the game. Yeah, Federico had a great game. Federico had as well. a great game. Uh, Nolan with with nine solos. Yeah, like it, they're all over the place. They had fifty six total tackles, twenty assists. I kind of want to see a little bit more of the of the gang tackling going on. But their defense is definitely something. I, w- I was talking to some of their players um, yesterday, actually, just over Instagram, and just saying that how how well they're, they they were mentioning just how together their defense really is and you know they're happy that we're finally not us that we have that much authority but that people are finally recognizing that that is it is a solid unit because you know it's always been okay western okay back okay guelph okay maybe you know carlton there laurie is solid d-line but that that queens does have because i guess the scores don't really show it because they are so you know queens did let up 50 plus points against laurie and all that but you know even in game against uft when they had 
34 or something like that scored against them, the D-line was still just phenomenal. So I think this is a very strong D-line, you know, fr- like front seven. If they can get their cornerbacks, not saying that they're bad, but just kind of on the same page as that. They're yeah, tighten up that secondary. Yeah, going to be yeah. a, an, an absolute monster of a defense. Yeah, and I think last year this was a defense that had a lot of turnover from the year prior to that. And so just like with everything, just getting those guys to gel in those units, the communication, all that, super important. And the last thing to say with Tyler Roy is that he is our player's choice pick for player of the week put up the Instagram poll and the votes for for Roy came in just just avalanched in and my favorite moment was that um and I don't think this is revealing anything out of school that AJ Allen messaged us or submitted his vote vote for Tyler Roy and then in turn Tyler Roy submitted a vote for A.J. Allen as Player of the Week. So I just thought that was awesome. I, I'm not sure. I think you were mentioning they, they might know each other. Secret so, best friends. Yes, yeah, so I don't know if they had planned that, communicated that in advance, but I loved seeing that. It's always great seeing guys give shout-outs to people on other teams because um, obviously it's so it's so natural to just want to give the glory to your own teammates. But you know, keep up the great work there in Kingston. Uh, we're gonna be watching you next year with 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 a uh, uh, you know a lot of more scrutiny. You know the pressure's on. You're not gonna be surprising anyone, but I think that they'll step it up. They have all the pieces in play, coaching staff. They have the right personnel there as well. They're gonna be a lot of fun to watch for the future. So now moving into next week, as we already mentioned for Queens, it's their homecoming with the York Lions coming to visit them, and for Guelph, they are coming to. Toronto to take on U of T. Uh, both of those one o'clock starts on Saturday. We will be in attendance at Varsity Stadium. If you're at the game, come say what's up, um, chirp us, whatever you whatever you want to do. We'll be there. Um, so with that being said, let's move on to our next game and let's take a look at McMaster and Carlton. Final score in this game: the Carlton Ravens 35, the McMaster Marauders 30. This game was in Ottawa. This was. The, what is going on with the OUA? Yeah, was this the third? So this this past week was the first week where Dakota, you, me, Eddie, and Brandon all had the exact same picks, and we only somehow went two for three. You'd think that if we all picked the same, that there would at least have been some a better record for oh, us. Apparently, we're just stupid. I, you know, I might have been able to tell you that a little earlier, but yeah, that seems to have been verified with our picking for this last week. But, you know, big ups for Carlton, obviously keeping their season alive with this one. And it, a really amazing win when you take into account the fact that they were they were short Jack Casser serving the one-game suspension for, uh, was it a targeting hit in the Panda? And then Nathan Carter was out. We saw him hobbled up a little bit in the Panda. But with Mr. Carter sitting out this game, we were able to see the emergence of one Mr. Joshua Ferguson. And... I, watching this game and just watching him just go off, I kept I kept kicking myself, and I know I'm I'm doing exactly what we kind of were speaking out against in terms of what some people were doing with our picks, talking after the fact. So I get that I'm saying all this after the fact, but he has shown some positive signs throughout this year, particularly in the panda with Nathan Carter going down, and I just I kept kicking myself, being like. Damn, I wish I put on one of the podcasts talking about this guy and thinking that he that he's actually you know a real threat. But if you weren't aware of Ferguson prior to this game, you sure as heck know his name now. Thirty-two carries, one hundred eighty-seven yards, two touchdowns. 
and we've talked about with certain teams, whether it's a running back against a, a weak running defense, are those stats slightly inflated? Or a really great performance by a certain unit on the defense, but against a somewhat poor offensive equivalent. This is 187 yards against McMaster's defense. And, you know, the way he he was doing it from the jump, that first drive for them when they ended up putting up seven on a touchdown, I, I don't know how many plays they ran, but I'm darn near almost certain that perhaps all but one went to him. And he's a patient inside zone runner. You can see he gets the ball, waits for that hole to open up, bursts through it. But then you could also see they'd run some stuff to the outside, a little outside zone. He's able to get that edge, turn it up, find either get a block inside that tackle or get to the edge outside. So he's a big body guy, but he still has the wheels to work, you know, sideline to sideline as well. The numbers speak for themselves, but what an impressive performance in a game that, you know, they, they very their chances to make the playoffs still aren't, aren't great. The scenarios, we won't get into them. But with their backs thoroughly against the wall, what a performance! I just, I just don't know how I feel about Carlton. I, every week, I, I have absolutely no. And at the end of the season, I'm going to compile all of our picks and see who does best picking for which teams. Oh, I like that. <laughs> but with Carlton, I feel like it just, I just close my eyes and throw a dart at a win or a loss. Like I, I honestly have no idea how they're going. Like you said, Carter's out. Yep. Jack Hasser's out. Yep. Should be an easy pick. For, Picking you, Mac, you'd think so. You no, no. Like, yeah, okay. Josh Ferguson, I don't, I don't know much about him, and you know, if he put up 100 yards, I'd be like, okay, yeah, they have a good back. 187, 187. I have no idea who this second year guy is, and that's that's not a shot at you. I just I, apparently I'm not educated enough in in the depth chart of Carlton, but how do they just find a way to win games well, or and, stay in games at least. Well, and and, and to your point, to to just kind of echo this this notion of Ferguson really coming out of what appeared to be nowhere. They were saying on the broadcast, and I haven't double-checked to see if this was right, but his two touchdowns mark his first and second career touchdowns ever. And as you mentioned, second-year guy. But just to, to fully drive home that point that, yeah, this isn't necessarily something that we would have expected, let alone against a tough McMaster defense. And say what you want about how their offense performed, McMaster that is, last week against UFT. We've been talking about this point all year long, that coming out of the buys, we've seen with a number of teams, the offense might slow down a little bit, but the defense is normally good. And their defense was great against Toronto. It was the first game all season that that held um, Clay without a touchdown, right? But then they come into this game, no Nathan Carter, as we already said, and Carlton's able to do this. And it's just, you know, it's phenomenal. And Tanner... Uh, a very solid game himself, 207 yards, two touchdowns. Already talked about the impact Phil Loki had, the 137 yards and two touchdowns himself. But it's just, you know, I f- for everyone listening, I hope you understand how how tough it is for us trying to come up with these narratives week after week when it just always seems to change with each each flip of the coin to start off each game. It's going to be more ridiculous next season. Just. So that way, one time when I hit a ridiculous pick, it's just gonna, it's just gonna, you know, <laughs> looks like I'm a genius. But just jumping over to McMaster really, really quick. Yeah. Even though they lost, Duick is, is can we say he's like the Drew Brees of the OUA, and not in the sense where he's gonna throw seventy four thousand yards. Yeah. But the fact that he threw the ball to ten, completed the ball to ten different receivers. I love it. Ten different receivers. 
that's something that is so hard to scheme against as a defensive coordinator. You know, that's that's going through at least three reads. Yeah. No, it's and what's crazy is and it's really a testament to how at least on the surface it appears like all these guys are really bought in to what the offense is trying to achieve as a whole because you know, you go through the receiving stats and at the bottom of the list and it's ranked just based on yards, you have guys like Levi Paul and Tyson Middlemost, who on any given week could very well be at the top of that list for them. But just based on who the opponent is, who's having a good game, who Duick's just feeling, who's getting open, all those things, it can just rotate from one guy having 100 yards, 10 receptions, couple TDs, to the next week maybe only a couple receptions. And it's just a product of who the hot hand is, where the offense is going, how the defense is playing you, uh, and all those things. So, you know, it, for things that you can take away in a loss, and I already m- made my point about moral victories, you know, this MAC offense is obviously a great bounce back for them offensively from that performance against U of T. And I think for MAC, you know, this coming week, you know, prior to this game and how it played out, and I say this as someone who thought Mac was going to win, I didn't think that that Waterloo game was going to be that impactful and that Mac, if they won this, they'd have the second seed locked up. Maybe they'd rest a few guys or at least maybe give the starters the first half, first three quarters, whatever, and then bring in some backups. But this is now a Waterloo game that they have to go in full board ahead, win this game. But honestly, I think that's a really positive thing for them. Another week, and it's a Waterloo defense that we've seen pretty much every team they've gone up against has been able to put points and put yards up against. For McMaster, take this opportunity. You're back home. Make a statement. Take that victory. And just another week to get that offense back and humming. Because come playoff time, these guys need to be at peak capacity. And we saw we saw last week that the offense slowed down a little bit. Nice bounce back here. Sorry, you, you were going to jump in on that. Yeah, just... Just two two quick things, and I may have already forgotten one of them. Um, for McMaster, oh no, two things. So first of all, an apology to uh, you know the people of Waterloo, just the entire city. We were actually mistaken last week by saying that if Mac won, it was a lock. You know, we got a lot of feedback saying that it could still change if Waterloo had won that game, and then Waterloo and then beat, beat Mac. Mac. Right. So it wasn't a lock. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. The second thing. McMaster's pass game, like we just mentioned, is great. I think they really need to figure out what the heck they're doing with the run game. Are they a power run offense, or are they, you know, a swing back offense? Mm. Because either give Jordan Lyons the ball 15 times, or give Justice Allen the ball 15 times. I don't like this 36 yards for Lyon, 14 for Justice Allen. Like, figure out what you do. Yeah. You're really good at spreading the ball through the air. But are you going to run up the gut or are you going to run on the outside? It's this wishy-washy stuff isn't working for them week after week. Um, and I, I think their O-line's great. So it's I don't think it's the penetration that's really happening. I just think that they don't know what they want to do. Well, we've obviously saw, a qu- you know, you mentioned lines. You mentioned Allen. We've seen Tavian Shand have some nice production for them in the backfield. Would you say, and I don't, I know I'm, throw, I'm throwing this at you with no prep, um, but 
we've kind of talked about the impact of a quarterback having a quarterback and receiver having that chemistry together and and getting those consistent reps but at the same time we've talked about how teams like McMaster teams like Laurier have been able to have success without necessarily uh, a guy stealing the show every week at that receiver position do you think it's more important equally important less important or just whatever in terms of the running game to have more consistency or do you so or do you think you can live by that I mean, clearly, based on what you said, it seems like you're not fully sold on that idea that you could just have. They're not establishing either, though. True, true. It's the same same with run and pass. You establish the run so you can pass. You establish the pass so you can run. They're not establishing the power run, so they can't swing. They're not establishing the swing, so they can't power run. And I think that's kind of why Duke's throwing 44 balls a game, is that they're not sure what they're doing with the run game. And it's kind of not too late, but it's coming down to the wire here you have to know what you're you're doing going into the playoffs yeah and especially i i love carlton's front seven but that's their front seven when they're fully healthy we obviously mentioned that uh jack was out in this game and you know big shout out to louis cavanaugh we already talked about him when josh walsh went down he was his backup playing the will position but then with Casser coming out they slid Kavanaugh over to that middle linebacker position so once again big shout out to him he also handles the the long snapping duties but for stepping up again in the face of adversity on that defense but completely be you know remiss to not mention the impact of Trevor Hoyt I believe the OUA gave him the honor of defensive player of the week finished off with eight solos Uh, a massive force fumble I think it was the one late in the game Uh, he forced on Duick uh, so you know, big shout out to him f- for the big performance. I think he's, you know, we talk about the, that three-headed monster at linebacker of Kasser, Walsh, and Hoyt, and it normally goes in that order, Kasser, Walsh, Hoyt. So great to see him getting the recognition he deserves for the play that he puts up every week, every year that he's out there in the field um, donning the Carlton uh, Raven swag. So huge win for those guys, uh, you know, Obviously, for all the senior players, last game at MNP, MNP, MNP Park. So, obviously, an emotional game for them as well. But it's not going to get any easier. It's not going to get any less emotional this coming week for Carlton as they are traveling, as we mentioned, to Laurier for the Friday morning showdown with the Golden Hawks. I, just just watch this dang game. It's it's. I think it's going to be spectacular. We'll get into that in our, in our preview uh, and then for McMaster, as we already mentioned, they will be returning home to welcome in the Waterloo Warriors um, for another what should you know be a spectacular game. Cannot wait to watch both of those, whether they are live or otherwise. Uh, with that being said, let's move on to our next game and let's take a look at the game that we were at live, the Red and Blue Bowl, Toronto versus York. Final score in this game, the York Lions 34, the UFT Blues 14. The Argo Cup resides with the York Lions again. Dakota, we were at this game. It was a cold, windy night down at Alumni Field at the University of York. And, ooh, chalk this one up as another one that we missed on for the picks. The York Lions put a W in the win column. Have you managed to recover from this? Yeah, I'm event? fine. I'm fine. Um, you know, first of all, congrats to York. I said you wouldn't win a single game this season. You did. Um, obviously, no one from York listens to the podcast because I would have got a lot more hate. 
Um, Maybe they're just a bunch of nice guys. No. <laughs> and not and not saying that they're mean guys, but I feel like, you know, a lot of them are from Toronto, and Toronto guys aren't going to... Come on, now you're born and raised. Yeah. You, you, you wouldn't listen to that. Uh, I would, but yeah. <laughs> you're, an, you're an O-lineman. I can tell you that Janky probably wouldn't have uh, let that shit slide. Sorry, I've sworn three times now this podcast. You can tell I'm a little riled up. Um, to be fair, you know, Hunchak is back. Yep. Uh, and I don't think, you know, he didn't put up crazy numbers. One touch and one interception. But I think it's the leadership he really brings as it was the senior night. Um, you know, it was his last home game. He, you know, he's there's no way he's going to will his team to win. Um, I don't want to dive right into it, but I just, and you know, you heard me kind of say it loudly throughout the game. I don't, you know, I'm not a fan. I don't really like to cheer, but oh my God, did Toronto's O-line just look bad. And this isn't anything against York. I said it when we watched, when I watched York and Mac at York that their D-line looked good, you know, their pass defense looked good. It was just their offense that was struggling. But every play that Toronto ran looked like it was a screen, as in three guys were in the backfield. Clay had about two and a half seconds to let it go. And if you've watched any of the Toronto games, most of them are deep balls or crossing routes that need some time to set up. And it just looked absolutely abysmal. I mean, we're, we're used to watching Clay run at this point. Not like he was running in this game. And I, I'm fully confident in this point that I think we made following the Carlton game where, to your point you just made about giving time for those deep routes, those crossers, to set up that it doesn't work if you're under pressure. And for sure, that you know the offensive line, they need to take responsibility for that. But at the same time, and this isn't the first time that, you know, and I'm not, I don't say this to take anything away from how incredible and historic UFT's offense has been, and I haven't checked the stats recently, but I remember even after the Mac game last week where Clay didn't have a touchdown, you were mentioning that he's still head and shoulders above the rest of the field. Still is. Still is, right? So it's not to take away from that. It, but you have this glaring obstacle, and... This is something that has been there despite the success early in the season. This has been something that's been there since training camp. And, you know, we talked with Brandon about it, and he had kind of let us, or at least for me, talking with him, he kind of let me know early that they were thin at that offensive line position just in terms of depth, that they had some injuries and stuff like that. In spite of that, they were still managing to put up those historic numbers with the deep bombs. But once that started to go a little sideways following the bye week, it just it's it's frustrating that they didn't seem to have a plan B, so to speak, in terms of yeah, this is what we want to do, but what do we have to do offensively? But what are you gonna do? Run the ball? Well, they, they don't have that. You know what you need for running the ball? Offensive lineman. Yeah. You know they didn't have that game. Offensive lineman. Yeah. I I mean it's t- I just I I don't I don't accept that. Obviously, having an offensive line that, that struggles like that is going to put you into a tough position regardless of what you're trying to do. But I, I, I won't just give up the fact that in trying to go for the long ball is one of the things that puts more more pressure on an offensive line than perhaps some other things that you might be doing. And like, I'm not an offensive schematicist or whatever. I don't have all these different types of plays that you might be able to do. But I have to imagine that like, at a certain point, there had to have been something to at least 
ease up that pressure on that offensive line. No, I definitely agree, and you you can see my bias here, and it's not my bias towards Toronto. It's my bias as as a West Coast OC and a former receiver and a guy that likes to you know never like to go under center and just always go to shotgun. I like to pass the ball. Yeah, you know, and I'm being a little hard on the on the O line here, but you know, no one no one looked like they were you know in the zone for Toronto. York obviously came to play, and Toronto just really didn't you know they've always been defeated coming out of the bye haven't won a game since the bye gonna play Carlson this week you know who knows what's gonna happen there you know Clay didn't look like himself he looked a little rattled after the first little bit uh Diodati got another huge hit against him no nope. no no penalty, yeah, that which, was you know weird. it kind of looked like a little bit of a head-to-head um and yeah being hard on the O-line they are a young O-line so maybe they can kind of get it together in the coming years and there were some injuries there as well but they were just you know, after the second quarter, when you looked at me and said York might win this game, <laughs> and I just I wanted to punch you in the face, but it was kind of true that UFT just didn't come to play. Well, and I think a big thing for that because you had brought this up before the game had even started, because I didn't click it. In, it didn't click in for me that with Carlson beating Mac earlier that day, that mathematically eliminated UFT. Yeah, from UFT contention. was out, and so, they did. They were aware of that. And you, I can only imagine, I've never been in that specific scenario as a player, but as much as I like to think that every single time I stepped on the field as a football player, the situation didn't matter, I was just going to go out and play my best, There's you're, you're kidding yourself if you think that's not going to affect the way you're going to perform on the field. That To learn that after this amazing year, and yeah, you had the slide late in the season, but you're, you still had a chance, and, and for that to slip away... Um, uh, by the factor of, of, of Carlton beating Mac, it, that that's so tough. And you could tell for York that while U of T had that not happened, they're playing for their playoff lives. For York, this was their this was their Yates, this was their Vanier, their Grey Cup, their Super Bowl, whatever you want to call it. There was nothing else to salvage other than, hey, maybe we can pick up a win, not get an 0-8 season, but as well, let's beat their crosstown rivals. Let's win the Argo Cup, and at least we get some bragging rights. And you know, we were kind of joking throughout the game how much some of the York guys were getting hyped up during the game. And yeah, it, it, it from an outsider perspective, it definitely does seem a little silly when you're zero and seven, or pardon me, you're zero and six. The team has not showed much promise throughout the year, and, and you know you're celebrating after you know tackles for yeah, losses. Yeah, it's it's, like, it's rivalry week. You know, well, it's, it's when, exactly. I, when I played in the CJFL when I was played for the London Beef Eaters. When one season we were like one and nine, and the next season we were nine and one. No matter what, when we played Windsor, for some reason that was our rival. We would always be not a bloodbath, but always be you know a chippy, aggressive game. So though, for York, this was a big game. You know, having their leader back under center and being able to say, yeah, you might, they might, UFT might not get a better record, but you know, at the time, UFT, you have a better record, but we're still the the king of the six. I yeah. hate saying that, king of Toronto. Um, and I, you know, I think we're, I'm talking too much about how poorly UFT played when really York did play a very solid game. UFT was out coached completely, and I don't know who we can. I don't even know a positive word for blame. Who we can credit that for York? <laughs> um, but you know, Alex Daly. Who, who I've always said is a very solid receiver. Yeah, you've been you big know, on him. 77 yeah. yards, averaging 11 yards per catch. 
I don't love. I, I don't know what happened in the, like the last play of the game with Janky and why he took off his helmet and started yelling. Maybe he's just happy, but that aside, he had two interceptions and two pass breakups. Yeah, that's one of which he took to the one of those interceptions. Of course, he took to the house. Yeah, so well, yeah. you know, I don't know why Clay's looking that side so much. That's that's not my call, but that's a that's a shutdown corner in my books. Yeah, if you have two breakups and two picks, well, I doubt I'm getting thrown too much more <laughs> in that game. Yeah, it, it, it's obviously you know it, it's interesting when you with with U of T though you, we talk about the the player the offensive line one of the big moves for this team in the off season wasn't necessarily a player move or anything like that it was Coach Irv coming from Laurier and of course he coached up the the O line there um, and I, I don't question his ability whatsoever there's only so much you can do if it's a matter of players getting injured and things like that. But I guess the last thing that I find that I'll, or the thing I'll leave it off on is that we talked about how well Laurier was able to run the ball, their offensive line, um, and whatever magic Irv is able to impart on on his players on on that offensive line unit uh, clearly hasn't come to fruition yet with with that UFT team. But you know, hundred percent. I definitely I'm with you giving the credit to what York was able to do in stifling them. And I guess the last point uh, I want to make is is something that you would actually mention where depending on how week 9 shakes shakes out York could finish ahead of UFT in the standing. So oh that uh you know would be a very sour note to end on for UFT on the season, but luckily for them it is in their hands whether that happens or not because if they are able to take their game next week at home versus Guelph, they can prevent that from happening. I've already mentioned we will be there at the game at Varsity Stadium. Come check it out. Haven't checked the weather yet, but you know I'm sure hoping it'll be a beautiful fall afternoon. And for the York Lions, oh, did you, did you have another point on that? I did. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So just talking talking to some of the players, you know, obviously Guelph is is a game they're going to go out and play their toughest, but it really is just looking towards next season. Clay is back. Um, don't know if I just spoiled that for people, but um, <laughs> we'll cut it out. Uh, you know the the entire bird gang is going to be back. Who knows what what's going on with with the O line? If they're going to get you know a little more reps over the summer, hopefully get a little bigger. So the offense is still going to be great. The real question is if their secret undercover offensive coordinator, which I won't name his name, is going to come back. You know, uh, Tommy has been doing a, a, a heck of a great job as the quarterback coach slash offensive coordinator he's really the the big ups on the play calling um if he's back i think uft is going to have a heck of a season next year but you know he could be poached and and picked up to actually you know run a program maybe brought over to a team like windsor and really help out the sucellies over there but who really knows uft break out the freaking checkbook we know you have one and we know you can you you can write a pretty big number to 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 coach tommy there um, yeah, and on the offensive line point, I mean, you got Coach Irv there. You have so many explosive players on that offense. For offensive line recruits going into next year, obviously one of the things that separates U of T from other schools is the academic standard that makes it a little tougher for them to bring in top recruits. But you'd kind of think that with the weapons they have, with the potential that's there, that if you're a top offensive line recruit, you know, as, all us being equal, that's a pretty good landing spot for you to end up in, given the current state of, of that team. So we'll see what they can pull together. But yeah, they're taking on Guelph at Varsity Stadium, and then for the York Lions, traveling to Kingston, 
Queen's homecoming, see if they can pick up their second win of the season, um, and you know, just ending their ending their year on a positive note. But with that being said, we'll move to the last game from week eight, Windsor and Ottawa. Final score in this game, the Ottawa GG's 54, the Windsor Lancers 26. If you didn't catch this game, don't be overly surprised, or at least don't assume by the score that this was a blowout from the jump. In fact, this was actually a thoroughly tight contest going into the fourth quarter. It was actually 23-19 to start the fourth. But within the span of two minutes, Ottawa scored 14 points, and the game was over by then. They had Matt Mahler in at that point, at quarterback, scores the touchdown on the ensuing kickoff. I don't know if it was just a short kick, a moonshot, whatever it was. Campbell Fair put it into a spot where the Ottawa player, I believe it was Polk, was able to recover the ball, take it back to the house, and from then on out, the game was just done. Obviously a hard thing to come back from so late in the game fourth quarter having that type of controversy but you know despite the loss and this obviously as we've talked about is Windsor's last game of the season they have the week nine bye which once again kind of a weird thing that your season ends the week earlier but you could really tell that they want to go out with you know as big as big a force as they could put up Sam Gerrard we've sung his praises on a few occasions Finished with a pretty good game. 334 in the air, two TDs, one interception. Marvin Gaynor had a nice game running the ball, 116 yards as well. Chris Osikusi in what I'm assuming has to be his last game ever in OUA action. Finished off with 110 yards, uh, the bulk of which came on a beautiful uh, screen pass, I believe it was, that took him for for 72 yards. Um, and, And Marvin Gaynor actually having a nice impact on the receiving game. Once again, the bulk of that coming on a screen pass. So, you know, not the end to the season, that not the season in general that Windsor would have wanted. Uh, a tough break, almost pulling off what I, I guess has to be considered an upset in Ottawa if they were to have pulled it off. But, you know, a great fight they put up uh, nonetheless. And, you know, it's it's all about moving forward for them. We've talked about the young coaching staff, the new coaching staff that is with Cercelli. They should have Gerard back. A um, couple pieces on the offense. I think they'll probably be gone. Where I said Osikusi should be gone. I think Carson Ouellette might be gone. Caden Walls might be done. Marvin Gaynor might even be done too. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, don't put any of those in stone because I haven't fully checked their status. Um, but just given my, my sense of, of, of what years those guys are in. So they could be losing a lot of guys on offense. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the Cercelli's plan is moving forward with this team. Um, but that's that's a wrap for Windsor for the for the 2019 year. And any thoughts for for Windsor's uh, season, Dakota? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, you know they they got a they got a great quarterback going into the future with Sam Gerard. It It's tough to tell with with the first year for the Cercelli's where they're really going to go. I have you know all the faith if. And this is going to be a bias again, but you look at it where Waterloo is, you know, with Pretoria slowly there. Yep. You know, we'll see what happens with Queens with Schneider. Even though he's only with Western for a short time, Cercelli's have are a great bunch of coaches, <laughs> a great duo of coaches. Um, so, you know, I have all the faith in the world that they can kind of pull this program back together. With that being said, pulling a program back to 4-4 four and four still might not get you in the playoffs. 
Um, yeah. My major thing, and I and I hate to jump off Windsor, but you did touch on a lot of points, is that I'm just so frustrated for Ottawa's defense. Not about <laughs> Ottawa's defense, for them. Yeah, on behalf of them. Going with this. Yeah. What is going on with the quarterback situation in Ottawa? And I and I I don't want to, you know, really beat down on a guy, but what's going on with Ben? He's he had some some shine at the beginning of the season when, you know, Bittner went down, and this is these last four games. He he put up sixty nine, then sixty eight, then one hundred thirty seven. You know, Matt Mahler's in there now. This isn't a team that can win in the playoffs because the, all the rest of the OUE teams are more balanced than Ottawa is right now. Ottawa's defense, fantastic. Yeah. But they're not balanced enough to go out and win a playoff game. Well, you know, the one thing that might play to their advantage is there. there is a chance that at least for the first round they might get a home game. Depending on how some of those tie breaks, if there are tie breaks, and a lot of the scenarios that I played out assume that they do lose to uh, Western and end up five and three. I think there might be a scenario where they can't, even if they lose to Western uh, in the final game of the year. I, I think there's a chance. I, I don't know exactly how that has to play off. So a that that could play into their favor. Uh, you, you mentioned the numbers Miracle had, as well as Mahler, and obviously, you know. You have to say that Miracle obviously played better than he had in the last two weeks. But this is a Windsor secondary that has been porous all year long. And there were a few plays, I think, on the touchdown to both... I think on Dylan St. Pierre's touchdown and Carter Matheson's touchdown, where there was a defender right there when the, the both players had caught their respective ball on the play, had him dead to right set up, just whiffed on the tackle. So I'm even willing to say that some of those numbers are inflated, but you are right that this is especially a frustrating thing to happen given how good that defense is. We saw them put up 14 points or, you know, I guess 12 points, 14 with the extra points in the Panda game. You know, great performances. Abed Hamidi, a linebacker for them. What was it? Ended up seven solos, a sack. Alex Douglas having a great game as well. Rashawn Davis at DN having a really strong game for them as well. You know, they they did win the Panda on the back of this defense. And I yeah, guess, but against the I don't know what's happening Carlton <laughs> again. That's not a shot at Carlton, but I really don't know what's happening no, with you guys. Yeah. What is happening, Carlton? What are you doing? Sorry, no, no, getting a little off track. But okay, what happens when I guess we'll see what happens when Ottawa goes down to London? Because yeah. Well, you know, that defense could, you know, maybe hold London, or sorry, hold Western to 32 points, maybe. But then Western's defense. Yeah. Well, we, you know, we saw Guelph was able to stymie Western. But Guelph has an offense. Which, I mean, and the offense didn't perform all that stellar against Western. But, you know, point being that we've seen a team with a strong defense being able to slow them down a little bit. I don't put Ottawa's defense up there with Guelph's, you know, quite to that standard so but even looking past that you know just thinking about those possible first round matchups whether it's against say Laurier or Waterloo or or Carlton Carlton or Guelph you know Guelph or Mac you know those are the the teams that they would be playing teams that as you mentioned as you know Carlton is pretty much the only real question mark of the bunch in terms of knowing what they'll bring consistently outside of that we know 
Empire. Waterloo's coming with an absolute firestorm of an offense. Laurier is coming with an incredible front seven and offense that spreads the ball around tremendously. Guelph's got the amazing offense and they got, pardon me, the, the amazing defense and they have players on offense as well that are able to produce and McMaster as well at their best, which coming off the bye, they've seemed to get better and better are deadly on both sides of the ball. So 100%, like, I guess I'm more or less trying to play devil's advocate here. To, but my, my main issue is yeah. that all the defenses that are going to be in the playoffs are more reliant, and correct me if I'm wrong, are more reliant on that front seven. Okay? Yeah. Mack, Guelph, yeah. Carlton with their linebacking core. Yeah. Laurier, the, yeah. Laurier, the, and the only offensive weapon I'm really seeing on Ottawa right now is Berger. Great, great game by Berger, 161 yards yeah. and a touchdown. But, you know, it's kind of like when... I think it was Queens faced U of T where they said, you know, I dare you to throw underneath all game. If I'm if I'm a team, I'm I'm sending five or six. Yeah. Again, I'm not a DC, so don't hold that with any value, but I'm sending five or six and say, you know, I dare you to pass it. And that's very well what I imagine will be will be the plan for them. Um I, it's you, you know you you don't, you don't like to go into games saying that like, okay, defense needs to score some points for us or get some massive plays for us to win this game but that does seem to be or at least i would expect that's how this would come to fruition but you know they got cody cranston back there in the secondary they got luke grease they got thomas carrier some other guys that have you know veteran presence in that secondary to go along with the players in the front seven so you know it's not inconceivable but you know it's it is such a it, it could happen and again this isn't anything with you know Miracle, if you're listening, it's nothing personal. The last three games you've had have been nothing to write home about. Okay, 35% completion, 47, 52. But the games before that, he's, you know, he's had games where he's thrown three touchdowns and almost 300 yards. He's had games where he's thrown almost 250 yards. Like, he can air the ball out. I just don't know where that Ben Miracle is. Yeah. He's not, he's not here. And, you know... He's got Carter Matheson. He's got Kalen Beaver. He's got Dylan St. Pierre. He's got Berger playing well of late in the backfield. The weapons are there around him. It's, you know, this Ottawa team, and I feel bad putting this much scrutiny on them coming off of coming off of the win here and then the the, the panda the week prior. Um, yeah, but you expect Ottawa to put up these numbers against Windsor. That's true. It's expected of you. That's fair. But I think regardless of what ends up happening and how it ends up happening, I think Ottawa might be the biggest what-if of this year. You obviously have the injury to, to, to Bittner um, and, and what that's done to the offense. Um, but as well, you know, despite how well we've been able to see Jordan Berger play, um, I, I, I'm i embarrassed that his name's escaping me, but obviously we expected to see the, the running back return this year from last year, who, who was so phenomenal. Uh, you know, I'm kicking myself. That I, 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 I'm spacing on his name. But that this... You know the defense we knew was going to be there. The offense we expected w- would have been better if some of the personnel was there as well. But you know we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, as you've mentioned, and I know with messaging with Eddie too, we don't necessarily expect Western to you know take the gas off on the, on that game. So I think the five and three finish will probably be what is to be expected for this Ottawa team. So as you mentioned, they're making the drive down to. London to take on Western for is it is it Western's homecoming? It is. It's Western's like real homecoming, but all the students there celebrate the Foco. 
Western just moved it to midterm, so they thought people would party less, but then the true Mustang just still partied the regular day. Well, you know, we'll see. Hopefully none of the players get caught up in the partying because they got this game against Ottawa, they got the bye, and then it's full steam ahead into the 8th Cup playoff uh, race. And for Windsor, as we already mentioned, this puts a close for their 2019 campaign. We saw some really strong things uh, all facets of the ball for them this year. It was really just come down to consistency, which was lacking, and perhaps that makes sense with a new coaching staff, people just getting comfortable, and a lot of new players on that offense too, um, especially in the likes of Ouellette, Osikusi coming into this offense. Another really strong campaign for Gerard. We saw some good things from, from Gaynor. Uh, like I said, I think this was his last year playing for them. Always love to see the Toronto guys, the Metro Toronto Wildcat guys, uh, have strong performances. Jacob Savani, we obviously saw the performance he was able to put up against York week one. Hasn't been able to match that all year, but is a younger guy. Hopefully him and Gerard can be the cornerstone of this offense moving forward under the Sir Sellies that is able to get Windsor back into contention, whether playoff contention or just, like you said, a four and four year that nets you seventh spot in the OUA, even if you miss it, just having that positivity. With that being said, that will wrap up our recap of last week. So now let's move into our preview of the last week of the OUA regular season. The first game we got, Carlton versus Laurier, 11 a.m. Friday, student day. Bringing all those high school kids, elementary kids to University Stadium. Zach, who do you have? Oh, boy. You know, I I was slightly torn on this, but I I feel like I've bet against Laurier too many times to try and make that mistake again. I'm going with the Golden Hawks, securing their playoff berth. Actually, you know what? I don't even want to say that. No, I I think it would secure it, but whatever. I still want to refrain from any type of prediction uh, about who's going to end up in the playoffs. But, yes, I'm going to go with the Golden Hawks at home with the Ravens coming from Ottawa. Early morning game. I'm sure they're traveling on Thursday, but nonetheless... That's my pick. Who you got? So from what I'm hearing is that all the bullies in our comment section... They got to me. They got to you. Yeah. With that being said, I also have Laurie in this game. <laughs> and it's just because Carlton, you know, I am a, a gambling man. And it has cost me my home and my livelihood. And I can't bet on you because I don't know what the heck you're doing. You know, Jack Hasher's coming back. Um, he missed last game. It's going to be a heck of a game. I do have Laurie. I'm going to say Laurie... Minus four and a half. The over-under for this game is going to be 56 and a half. Ooh, okay. I mean, another big question for this one is, is Nathan Carter back? And if he is back, what do you do on the heels of the, what was it, 187 by Ferguson? So that'll be another interesting factor to see how they play around with it. But they were able to put up points on max defense, so maybe they can do the same thing against Laurier. Next game, moving to the Saturdays, Guelph. UFT, Varsity Stadium, we've already mentioned a few times, we will be there. I am going with my Guelph Griffins in this ball game. Super important game with the win and with a few other bounces. They could end up with the second seed in the OUA. I don't doubt that they're going to be, they're going, to be going full board in this one. Yeah, I hate, I hate that I have to go against Toronto. And it's one of those games where, hey, Clay, Daniel, Michael, you know, Lovegrove, Will, prove me wrong. Please, but I have to go with Guelph on this one. Oh! Mainly, just to refer to my last point about the whole I have a gambling problem, we we at the 55 are so neck and neck on our predictions for games that 
you know, any loss in this last week could knock someone out of first place. So I got a really <coughs> Eddie. Yeah, Eddie, we're coming for your spot. He actually, I don't think he can really lose that. He, he can only lose to you, actually. He can tie me for first. Um, okay. This is the most math I've done. So I got to go with Guelph. It's the safe bet. Um, you know, I hope I'm wrong. Brandon picked U of T. Doesn't really matter. He's not winning. <laughs> but I got to go with Guelph on this one. Moving into our next game, Queens is homecoming with the York Lions visiting them. Uh, you know, my my initial pick, I wanted to go with Queens on this one, but uh, originally my picks aligned up identical to Eddie's. So I switched, and I'm not just taking York in this one purely for the sake... Well, no, I am taking them purely for the sake of the switch, but I do see a road to victory for them in this game. The defense has been solid at times, the passing defense in particular. What's happening with Queens in terms of who's going to be at quarterback? Offensively, you know, we'll see what they can get going. I uh, I don't know. This is week nine, and this is the first time someone has picked York to win a game. It had to happen. No, I guess it didn't have to happen at all, but it's happening, so... Let's go Lions. Rawr. No, there was not a break in the microphone. I really wanted everyone to feel that awkward silence after Zach made a, a roar for the Lions. More of a rar, but okay. Uh, it was more of like a rar XD type thing for the emos out there. Um, I got to go with Queens. You know, whether or not they have trouble at the quarterback situation, they have Tucker and they have that solid defense as well. It's also Queen's homecoming, which means a lot of really drunk comm students with their leather jackets. Those are actually the engineering, so that's my bad. Um, it's going to be a tough game to go into, so i got to pick Queen's on this one. Moving on, Ottawa traveling to London to play the Mustangs. Mustangs across the board. Any commentary needed for this one? No. Moving on. No, no, no. There he is. <laughs> I lied. Everyone's saying, okay, but, you know... Western's going to get that first round by in the playoffs. Eddie mentioned this. He says, you know, which I'm surprised Eddie mentioned this because he, he got coached by Greg Marshall. He said, you know, maybe Greg decides to rest all his players. I've never known Greg to do this. You know, he, he's gone 8-0 in the last two seasons in the OUA. I, I don't see Chris Merchant coming out of this game until at the earliest, early fourth quarter. Maybe Kevin John gets the start for the fourth quarter. Mustangs aren't even going to take a chance, especially for their homecoming. Well, I think the real QB question is, is when does Matt Mahler make the appearance in this game? That's like a slight shot at Ben Miracle, I guess, but I guess we'll just move off of that one. Anyways, <laughs> moving into our last game, Waterloo heading to Hamilton, taking on the McMaster Marauders. Dakota, you want to start us off with this one? I will. I got Mac. I got Mac coming out of the gate. Uh, it's similar to my Carlton thing. Trey Ford is is the decider for me. Um, but the Waterloo defense has still not shown me anything special. And with uh, Duke's ability to throw the ball to 10, 40, 50,000 receivers, I'm assuming that's how many people are going to be in the stands. Um, I, I have Mac Wayne. It's going to be a tight game. I forgot to do the spreads for the other one, so I'm not going to do it for this one. <laughs> it's going to be a tight game. If Mac can figure out their run game, it's going to be a little easier for them. But McMaster's defense is better than Waterloo's defense. And McMaster's offense is just a little bit worse. Okay, I was than, wondering where you're going. A little bit worse than uh, than Waterloo's offense, but you know the advantage for the balanced team definitely goes to Mac for me on this one. I'm going with Mac as well in this one. Um, this was this was a tough pick uh, initially. I think I wanted to go wanted to go with the upset Waterloo in uh, enemy territory. 
Their is, offense, is it an upset? That's a good question. I mean, I think just... I think it has to be, whether it's a large upset or not. But, you know, regardless, we mentioned in the breakdown of the Battle of Waterloo, we've seen uh, Waterloo put up big points against great defenses consecutive weeks now. There's no surprising anyone when this team does put up numbers like that. Uh, so it wouldn't necessarily surprise me for them to be able to do something similar in this game. Um, but, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go with Mac on this one. But, of course... None of us know. No one has clairvoyance to see what's going to actually happen. So we have to be checking out all these games all weekend long, starting off with the 11 a.m. game on Friday, all through the 1 o'clock games on Saturday to wrap up what has been an amazing season of OUA action and will set up what is sure to be an incredible run to the Yates Cup and, of course, all the way past that. So with that being said, before we wrap up this week's episodes, we have a couple questions that we'll get into and a couple comments that we'll address. Dakota, do you want to read off a couple of them? I will. Um, this one just says uh, they want us to talk about the OUA stat leaders, um, which I think is kind of just trying to plug yourself. I won't say your name, but you are <laughs> leading the league in sacks. So I think you just kind of want us to shout you out, which I'm not going to, you know. But I will say this. Can we can we dub Clay as... As the you know, Clay's going into this Guelph game right now with one passing touchdown away from the single season U of T record, and he now currently lead leads the league by seven more touchdowns than the closest active quarterback because Sam Gerard does have fourteen, but he's not playing this week. Does Chris Merchant throw eight touchdowns while Clay throws zero, or does Clay come out with the most passing touchdowns this season? What are your thoughts? I, you know, I'm probably willing to side with you on that. That it'll probably be Clay getting that, uh, getting that number. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I wouldn't necessarily put it past Greg Marshall to try and make that happen for Chris Merchant in, in some form or fashion either. No, I, I, I side with you on that. I mean, it's it'll be a tough task. Obviously, it's an incredible Guelph defense that he'll be having to do it against. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I, we kind of. I know you spoke to him after the game. I, I I see him coming back. He knows he didn't play well in that game against York and the team as a whole. A hundred percent, he's going to be coming back firing on all cylinders. Uh, yeah. One one last thing about the stats. I do kind of like how you know you you look at Toronto and you think they are such a, a pass heavy team, and then when you're looking at the stat leaders, Clay most yards per game, most passing touchdowns, then receiving, you have Lovegrove and Corby as the leading average per yard receivers and then you have Lovegrove and Corby as the leading touchdowns for receivers and then you flip it over to rushing Dion Pellerin for Waterloo and then Ford obviously for Waterloo nine six rushing touchdowns apiece so it, it's just it's two just team fun. score it's just, it's just wild to see that you know Toronto's just way ahead in the passing game and then Waterloo's just way ahead in the rushing game obviously just for the touchdowns you know Wondrick Gordon is leading the league in, in rushing yards per game. Yeah. But then, right behind him, Deion Pellerin. And then fifth on the list, Ford. Yeah. So it's just it's just kind of cool to see that that balance. Um, the next question we have is, you know, I'll let you handle this one all by yourself. Sherbrooke versus Montreal. Je ne sais pas. Perfect. Sorry, it's just uh, OUA. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit more when the playoffs come around. We'll have to get Big Eddie on here to talk anything outside of the OUA, I think. If I have to pick, I'm going to say Montreal. That's probably where I would be leading to. Um, last one from our Instagram, and it's hard to really find this when you're watching the game, but how bad is the refing in the OUA? 
Well, we already kind of addressed it from the red and blue bowl that there looked like there was a couple misplays, miscalls on on possible headshots, and you know, there's going to be miscalls throughout the games. As a former lineman, holding's obviously the most fickle of calls to make. It probably happens on every play, but it's called however many times, not that often, ultimately. But it's things like the headshots that you just hope that, or, or things that are going to put players at risk, whether it's the crack back blocks, like you said, the headshots, targeting, things like that, where whatever, if a guy misses a possible PI or, or holding, you want to get those things right, but you know that there's going to be human error and things like that. My biggest concern, my biggest hope is on those ones that do involve player safety, make sure to get those ones right. Yeah, 100%. I think my only issue uh, with the refing was during that red and blue when the temperatures dropped to about 7 degrees and the last two minutes of that game lasted 45 minutes because <laughs> of the flags. But if we're talking about how bad is the refing, I'm going to say um, 27. 27 out of what? You'll never know. But a 27, that's how bad the refing is. Love it. Um, so that's from our the Instagram feed. A few things from Twitter. Uh, once again, thanks to everyone for for contributing and and getting your piece in. Um, shout out to uh, Tim Austin. Wrote a great piece uh, for the uh, the Carlton uh, newspaper about Jesse Lawson, uh, their offensive lineman, who uh, is almost surely going to be uh, one of the top linemen picked in the uh, CFL, at least from. Uh, OUA standpoint, uh, there's a link on uh, through our Twitter you can find to his article. Uh, definitely give that give that a read. He's been a, a consistent player for the Ravens now for some years. Great talent there. Um, yeah, definitely check that out if you want to learn more about uh, an incredible athlete. Um, yeah, so you can find that on our Twitter page. Once again, that's Tim Austin. Um, the next piece we had is a question about playoff scenarios. I mean, we we kind of already said we don't really want to go down that rabbit hole too, too much. Like I said, the most interesting thing I came across in playing with some of the scenarios is that there is a, a couple situations in which, due to their loss to Carlton, Mac could slide to sixth in a situation where they're tied with, with a bunch of other teams at five and three theoretically and in terms of common opponents that's the outlier in that they lost to carlton and those other teams didn't uh let's let's look at let's look at okay uh mcmaster loses to waterloo so mcmaster falls to five and three yeah guelph loses to u of t yeah so guelph falls to five and three ottawa loses to western ottawa falls to five and three uh waterloo has won so they move up to five and three and then we'll say Laurier beats Carlton, so they move to five and three. Okay, so if that happens, that's the the five and threes across the board. Well, not not fully across the board. I think I played that one out, and yeah, that's a scenario where Guelph beat Carlton. No, yeah, Guelph beat Carlton. Guelph yeah. beat Carlton. Ottawa beat Carlton. Laurier beat Carlton. Uh, Water or wait, yeah, Waterloo beat Carlton. But once again. Mac lost. So out of those five teams, that's the only common opponent. So if every team goes to five and three, Mac drops down. Yes. And even in a scenario where same thing that you just mentioned, but where like even if Toronto pardon me, if, if Guelph wins, so they they go to six and two, and then all those other situations play out. So you have Mac, Waterloo, Laurier, and um and Carlton at, uh or sorry, and Ottawa at five and three, 
same thing. Common opponents, Mac falls due to uh, the, the loss to Carlton. Um, so, you know, obviously that game was massive for uh, Carlton in terms of being able to salvage their season. And, and there are obviously scenarios in which they can still sneak in, but um, perhaps even more impactful for McMaster if they end up dropping this game to Waterloo as well. Um, can can Waterloo not make the playoffs? Hmm. Carlton beats Laurier, moving Laurier to four and four, and Carlton to four and four. Carlton has the advantage against Laurier. Laurier has the advantage against Waterloo. That seems to make sense. I know a couple of the guys doing from the from Waterloo. I think did a breakdown of. It. I'm trying to pull it up on Twitter, like live as we speak, because um, I know they did a little bit of analysis of this. But then Waterloo's beating Carlton. Yeah, it gets really sticky. Um, can Waterloo be eliminated? Because that is huge. This is why we didn't want to do math. Yeah. Let's yeah, end this. Yeah, okay. We'll have to stop it there. Um, you know, shout out to the crew at Wa- that called that Battle of Waterloo game. Though, by the way, um, immaculate performance uh, by both guys in the booth. Um, great stuff. Another reason why we need to get these games not just on the OUA uh, streams, but on some type of broadcast we had guys like Marshall Ferguson um, tweeting out about how you know great these games were and that we need to get them on TV or whatever Mike Hogan echoing those same sentiments so guys that you think would have some kind of pull with the people that can make these things happen let's get this going let's get some more media coverage for this great league um, just one more thing uh, Nick Oakley got it in last minute he just wants to talk about the early awards and predictions um, Nick we will be releasing our our all-stars in the coming weeks which kind of brings us into uh, a little bit of thing we got going on next week's episode will be split so we will have the season wrap up our thoughts on the full season obviously the week nine games um, that will come out during our regular time on Wednesday and then nearing the end of the week Right before the playoffs start, we will have, you know, our, you know, maybe our all-stars, maybe that's going to go in the week before, but also our playoff predictions, what we're going to see for the Yates Cup playoffs. Um, But yeah, so we'll address that next week, Nick, and I appreciate you being such an avid listener and and commenter. You pretty much get questions in every week, which (laughs) is great, Uh, but we will address that next week. Love it. So with that being said, that'll wrap up our our week eight coverage here. Um, Make sure if you have the opportunity to uh, give us a rating on whatever uh, feed you are listening to us, Spotify, iTunes, Google, whatever it is, five stars, if you will. Leave a comment. Let us know what you're thinking, what we can do that would make this program all the more better. And, of course, check out these games this coming weekend. Not only is there so much in the balance in terms of the playoff seating, but these games are sure to be phenomenal. If it's anything like this past week and what we've seen all year long, you are in store for some incredible football. So with that being said, we'll see you next week at the 55.